Welcome to the Creative Finance Playbook, where we'll show you how to buy property without banks or credit using creative finance strategies. Join your hosts, Jen and Joe Delafave, as we embark on a thrilling journey to financial freedom through real estate. With our expert advice and insider tips, you'll learn how to build wealth and achieve your dreams. So tune in and get ready to take control of your financial future. Hey everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, Art of Creative Finance, where we are going to dive into subtailing. This is one of those things where we are buying houses on seller finance or subject to wrap mortgages, some type of creative financing, and then we are selling those quickly for returns. So today I'm going to go over some of these examples of why this works, where this works, works to find examples of how you could talk to sellers and how the rate of return on your money on these quick turns. I haven't seen things like this before. Um, so I kind of got into subtailing, not even knowing it was like a, a proper thing. The first time we ended up getting into one of these deals, we had a seller who inherited a home from his father, passed away. He had a lot of equity, but he had a mortgage on it and the mortgage was in rough shape. So part of the deal was the seller was flexible uh, when he was going to get paid out. As long as we were able to pay him what we agreed on, uh, we found the opportunity to, we thought we were going to turn this into a rental until the condo, the HOA association said you couldn't do rentals there. So then we thought, okay, we're going to actually just do a fix and flip and we're going to sell this. So this is where we had our aha moments, right? Because the seller had a lot of equity coming to him. And he was flexible. He didn't want to wait 10 years or 20 years to get some money. He wanted to get his money in a little bit of a shorter term. And these are where we had some of these aha moments where if he could be a little bit flexible, we could kind of buy the property with seller finance and we could take over making payments. The seller knows that once we do some of the work to the house and get it sold in the market, they're going to get cashed out and we will too. And this is where we had our aha moment, right? Because what we figured out at that moment, we didn't have to buy cash for the property, cover all the holding expenses, closing expenses, and then fund the repairs just to put on the market and sell it. In a lot of these situations with this one example that we kind of just stumbled upon this, that we were going to keep as a rental, guys. We were even thinking of burring at one point, right? Because you know that was the thing to do. Rights were still pretty decent. This was years and years and years ago. Um, but this is where the strategy, once we found out we couldn't rent it, this was the next step, right? So once we figured out that on that project, we put in 25,000 worth of repairs, covered closing costs, which was like 3,000, some holding costs, which was just really only a few months worth of utilities and a handful of payments. Um, we had a, around 30,000 into that deal. And I know that when we netted out on that $42,000 return, we felt pretty good about that. Right. So this is where we started really looking into when we're talking with sellers, we want to be as efficient as possible. Really, what we want to do is get every single lead that we have and figure out if there's a strategy that could work for that seller. And sometimes that is cash. And there's a lot of times where a cash deal makes sense. 
working on one right now. There's a lot of times where seller finance and sub two works really, really well, especially in the market, what's going to be happening now with the downturn. You know, it was a lot easier to sell your house in the market. It's not easy to do that anymore. When a lot of these cash investors are offering, you know, obviously a pretty low number. And I think that number will continue to drop. Some of these folks can't afford to do that, right? We are some of the folks who get into those deals and pay a lot more. And there's a scenario that I really, really loved that just really breaks it down to these creative finance deals. How you can make these work is, can I buy a property that's worth $100,000? Can I buy it for a million dollars? And usually everybody's going to say, no, I wouldn't pay a million dollars for this $100,000 property. But I say, well, what if you could have a payment of a dollar a month for a million months, right? And I could do that with no money down. And I know I could put a renter in there and I could make good cash flow. I have a low payment and I've got a really long term to pay that off. I could still make that deal work. So can I pay more than everybody else? As long as the rest of the numbers work out well, yes, I can. So can we find deals or maybe some other investors or other folks can't, sure we do. So these are just some examples, but these subtail deals are gonna be some really great opportunities. Now, what are these leads look like, right? So when we have a seller reach out to us, we're reaching out to a seller, how do we kind of separate the different categories to where this makes sense for a sub two to where we're gonna take it to a retail or a seller finance deal that we're gonna take it to retail quickly. So a lot of these times, what we're finding out is maybe they're flexible as when they're going to get their money, right? Maybe they have equity in the deal, right? And a lot of times it is. And we have a lot of seller finance deals that we have where the seller is open to taking a five-year, a 10-year, 20, 30-year term. And they're okay with that. But then we run into some situations where maybe the seller is flexible, but they don't want their money tied up for five, 10, 20 years. They want to get their equity a little sooner than that. But a lot of times... They're still willing to sell it to you on seller financing, but for a much shorter term. Now, a lot of these times, these folks are reaching out to us with a property that's either not wanted or they've already moved or a lot of these situations. I'm going to go over some of them right now that we did. A lot of times these houses are not market ready. Um, they're not, right? So sometimes they're hoarder situations. Sometimes they're rough, depending. What we do is we really kind of break down the numbers to see what that margin will look like. I'm going to go over an example right now. So if any of you on your computer, I always like to give out addresses and stuff like this. You could always Zillow, look it up, make sure we're not lying, making up stories, right? So my first property we just did this one not too long ago was 10198 West Bethany Road, Batavia, New York. It's 14020. 10198 West Bethany Road, Batavia, New York. 14020. So that's a property. The seller reached out to us and says that we're moving out of state. I'm moving to Tennessee. I want to sell my property. It's in rough shape. This is right when like the pandemic was starting. It was pretty bad. You didn't want to go to people's houses. And he said, my house is in rough shape. You don't want to come here anyways. Um, we did like some pictures and he only sent us the good pictures. The place we knew was in rough shape. We did know that. Um, the purchase price is what he owed on his mortgage. This was a sub two deal. We just bought it for what he owed. His payment was, or he owed 103. So we wrote up the deal for $103,000. We didn't come to the closing table with $103,000, guys. We came with like three grand. Three grand was just to cover closing costs. We took over his $800 payment. I think it was like seven something. 
but we take you over making his payment after 30 days. So now what happened is we're into a property. I own this thing for really $3,000 out of pocket. And that's just covering closing costs. Now, when I went there for the first time, I did not bring my wife and this place was absolutely disgusting. The one thing you guys don't get on pictures are smells. Um, there are smells that you just can't ever not live. And, uh, that was one of those days. So luckily my wife did not come, but I realized that we need to do a clean out of the property, get all the stuff in the inside and the outside. There's just junk and stuff scattered all over. This is out in the country. So we spent $3,000 to get a dumpster there and to do a clean out. So what do I do to this property? This is a property that we were originally thinking, do we rent it? We could throw a renter in there quick, but it's really kind of rural. The market was really good and we knew we could get it sold quickly. So I, I spent three grand on closing costs, $3,000 on a clean out. So I did take my wife there now after it was cleaned out and she walked through the house and within a few minutes, I copped down like we were about to leave and I couldn't find her anywhere. And I'm like, hey, hon, I'm going to lock up a small house. So I couldn't figure out where she was. And she was already like sitting in the truck. It was that nasty that after clean out, she still wouldn't go there. So it was still that bad. Um, but what we did is we bought it for 103 and we put it on the market for 140 and sold it for 139 cash. So by just putting it on the MLS, because what happened was those folks bought it from us for 140, they're going to go put probably at that time, I'm guessing 35, 40,000 in the house because it's a small ranch and the basement, all that foundation was all brand new. So with that being the case, they're going to be putting into the house. They're still going to be into a pretty equitable position because the house after they're done is worth in the low twos, mid twos. But these folks are looking to buy this. We put it on the MLS and had it sold almost right away. We had it sold twice. The first people were going to buy it and then change their mind. And then the second buyer was like, I'm going to do it. I'll finance it. Then said, no, I'll pay cash. So what did the numbers look like? And that's what I'm going to kind of break down right now, right? So 3000 in closing costs, the $3,000 clean out. We made three payments. I'm going to round up to 800. It was like seven something. Paid insurance policy. Pay some holding costs like utilities, lawn care, because it was during the summer, right? So out of that, we had a little under 10 grand out of pocket. So we've taken $10,000, although really we have 103 plus our $10,000. So we have 113 technically into the project, right? However, we don't because we really only have 10,000 out of pocket. Now, once we have our cash buyer come in at 139 and we pay the realtor the commission of the eight grand, pay like 1500 in closing, we end up netting out like a little over 129 there. So when you're all said and done, squared away, you get a check because you've also made three payments for around $17,000, $18,000 after you've paid back your 10, right? So when I look at taking $10,000 and then turning that into a $27,000 turn where I pay back my 10 and I'm up $17,000 now, what's the rate on return on my money within three, four months? Not only what is the rate of return, because it's fantastic, I can do a quick in and out on a deal where it didn't cost me a lot of money, but now I could kind of get into some fix and flips. So the very first one that we did this way, we did the fix and flip, but it was a very light cosmetic fix and flip. It was a condo. There's nothing to do on the outside. We just put in a bathroom, 
a kitchen and this very small kitchen, um, new flooring and paint. Really, that's all it was. So that's why it didn't cost a lot. I'm not trying to do major rehabs. A lot of those I'll assign to other investors who just like to do that a lot more than I do. But on these small ones, these are fantastic ways to get in and out of a deal fairly quickly. Um, the next one I'm going to go down is one we're doing actually right now, currently. This is one we just closed on two weeks ago buying. And we are working on the paperwork. I just talked to title company today, and we're going to be closing, I think, in about two more weeks. So the address here is 8401 Woodlands Trail, Greenwood, Louisiana, 71033. 8401 Woodlands Trail, Greenwood, Louisiana. So was this, was this even your deal, Abby? I don't know. Maybe. I don't, I don't remember if this so. was your, I don't, I don't remember so. who's. I think it was Els. Okay. So the folks here want to sell their house. They have a double wide. Um, they have a lot of stuff in the place. There was some damage that happened to the property a few years ago, water damage, although they had the roof repaired, replaced. There's still some interior damage to the property, but they just wanted to be able to move out. Um, we bought it for $70,000. Their balance was 63,000 on their mortgage. So if they could get $7,000 down at closing, they'll let us take over their existing mortgage. So at closing, we gave them a check for $7,000. We paid $2,500 in closing. We own the property for it's like $7,200 and some change. Because it's actually they own like a little under $63. So out of this, we have... 72.5 into the deal. It's not even, it's a little under that. We're going to go with that number right now. And what I did on that deal was I looked at this double wide and I knew that our payment was only 500 bucks a month. So in this time, we'll make two payments, pay an insurance policy, which we're going to get that back because it's going to be canceled almost immediately. Right. So I still want to float insurance on it for a little bit. But now here's the deal with this which I absolutely love about this, our sellers moved out. Before we close on it, I looked on the ML, I looked on Zillow and I found some that currently or recently sold there. And I reached out to the realtor and I said, hey, I see you just had a listing here. Well, I'm gonna be buying this property and I'm an investor and I'm closing on it in another week or two. And when I buy this property, sometimes I turn them into a rental. Sometimes I fix and flip it. Sometimes I just sell them on the MLS as is. And... I'm thinking of selling this one on the MLS. And I saw that you sold this. I was curious to know if you'd want to list this for me. And he was like, absolutely. I gave him the information. He said, does it need some work? I said, yeah, here's some pictures. Here's an inside video. He said, yeah, it definitely needs work. He was like, the guy who bought the last one, he would take this. I said, okay. What would that deal look like? He's like, well, I could list it on the MLS. We could see what we could do. And I think we could get probably in the 90s, close to 100 for it. He's like, or he'll take it for 90000 pay cash, and I'll just take a $1,500 fee for being the realtor on the deal. I said, well, if I list it for ninety five dollars and have to pay a 6% commission, almost breaks down the same darn thing. Let's go ahead and just do that, right? Kind of makes sense. So he's, I said, perfect. He's, I got him a key to the property, does the walkthrough, says he'll take it. We literally closed on this two weeks ago, Monday, past two weeks ago. The same day I, I reach out, I'm like, hey, 
We've, we just finally closed on this property. We're good to go. He sent me the purchase sale agreement to sell the property. And we clicked off and signed that. And within a few weeks, here we go to sell it. So what did we do? We gave the seller $7,000 down. I paid $2,500 in closing costs. I got two payments at 500 bucks. Got 11.5. Paid my insurance policy, say 500. I got, you know, under 12 grand, 12 grand out on my pocket on that deal. Now, out of $70,000, right? Anything over that is going to be my closing costs, my two payments and in insurance policy. So at this point, I only have into this project 73,000 and some change. Now, when I sell for 90 and I'm going to net 87.5, what do I do? I take $12,000 and I'm going to turn that into another $15,000, $16,000 profit after I pay myself back my initial entry into that deal. So once again, when I'm looking at my cash on cash returns, how you can consistently by finding these sub two deals where I could buy this property, only have closing costs and a little bit of money down sometimes. And a lot of these times, if they know that you're going to turn it quickly, they could do with no money down, Right because they know I'm going to give them their money quickly when I put on the market. This one, in this circumstances, guys, the only reason why I did this is because I kind of did some math. They gave us a seven-year term to get them cashed out. So I'd have to seven years to get them cashed out. And I could have put a renter in there. But then when I look at that to buy the property, I have to do a clean out. Now I knew there were some spots in the ceiling that were needed to get repaired. The bathroom was kind of you know a little nasty. I have to do some work to the property. And now I'm thinking, of, okay, I'd have to, put out a lot, of, a lot of money to get some return on that money where now I don't have to do any of that. And I could turn around and make 15, $16,000 quickly on that deal by just buying a property and not even paying 70,000 cash plus the 2000 in closing plus my insurance policy. I'm only come with a tiny fraction of that to make a good return. So this is why when I look at exposure, how much I'm spending for this, compared to my return, I love these type of deals. So I hear a lot of things about novations. So there are things out there called a novation agreement, which is not quite the same, but has some of the similar concepts where I could come into agreement with a seller that I will do some of the repairs and then get it on the market, but I technically never close on it. The only challenge I never like about those novation deals are if I go do some of these repairs, I do the clean out and they see what I'm selling it for, it's hard to force them to the closing table because I don't own the property. I don't control the deed. I'm not the pen, not the one writing the, the okay on that, right? Or what happens if you do all these repairs in their house and they say, well, you know what? I actually love that you did all this work. We don't want to leave now, all right? Because I had to fix those holes in the ceiling that they've been living with. But I know if I put it on the market, I have to get ready for an FHA buyer, most likely. So I'll have to fix those holes. And maybe that leaky faucet that they just let leak, I fixed all these things to make it look presentable. And they love it. And now they decide they don't want to sell. Right? That puts me in a really tough position for doing a novation agreement. So although, yes, novation agreements can be great because I don't have to pay the closing costs, but I will pay those few thousand in closing costs more likely to be able to make sure that after I either do my clean out or whatever I'm going to do, that I know that I'm gonna be able to go to the closing table and sell that property. Does that make sense to everybody? And if you got questions, we could definitely answer that later on. But I'm really big into making sure that I'm in control of the deal 
So this is why I love to close on it with seller financing. And then either if they have a mortgage, I'll make a couple of payments until I could turn it around and sell it quick. Now, here's the last one, guys. Now, if you have a seller who maybe inherited a home, right? Or maybe it's just they don't owe anything on it and they're willing to sell it the same way to where the numbers break down the same where you could buy the property with owner financing. And if they know that they're going to get their turnaround on their cash in say six months to nine months versus having to wait much longer, a lot of times they don't even want payments. You don't have to even make monthly payments. So if the numbers break down on a deal on a free and clear house to where maybe somebody inherited a home, and they want $60,000 for it, because we did one, we ended up just paying cash for it because I just wanted to settle up for it. We had the cash, so it wasn't an issue. But the seller was okay, and I kind of kicked myself in the ass for not doing it, just for the sake of doing it. Um, but either way, uh, young lady inherited a home. This place, they already removed four dumpsters worth of stuff, and they were so overwhelmed because there were still seven more dumpsters left of stuff in there because we did all that, right? There was a lot of repairs that needed to get done to the house to get it market ready to where she would have been totally okay with us buying the house for the same price, but not giving her that cash and us furnishing the repairs and doing the clean out and then listing on the market like we did and then got paid the way we did. And then once we've got paid the way we did is when she would have got cashed out too, right? So you're gonna run into scenarios where we wouldn't even had to make payments and after we already came on the number and we already signed everything, and then I thought to myself, why don't I just do that? And because I know she would have been okay with it. I was like, right? Either way, not a big deal. You live and you learn. But here's just another opportunity to look for on these free and clear houses because a lot of times, guys, they're just doing simply a clean out and listing it on the MLS, getting it more market ready than the house already looked like. So the house that I just talked about previously in Louisiana Guys, we did nothing to the house. I didn't even do a clean out. He says, what are you guys going to do with all the stuff inside of it? I said, well, the previous owner took all the stuff inside of it because we bought it from them as is, and you guys will be buying it from us as is. So whatever's in there, congratulations, that's what you got. So they're okay with that because they knew the deal that they were going to get because the realtor was savvy enough to take a discount in his commission. He's going to get paid 1500 bucks for really just putting me in touch with one of his buddies who's going to buy this deal and make it cheaper for his buddy to buy the deal to make it easier to pay for the clean out and all the other stuff. And everybody's happy on that. And great news for my sellers. They don't have to wait seven years to get cashed out. They're going to get cashed out in a month, right? Not even didn't matter much to them because they didn't have any equity in the deal, but they got the debt off their name already. So good news for everybody. So these art of wholetailing, subtailing, whatever you want to call them, these deals are out there. So what do these deals look like? Once again, the sellers want to sell their house. They're flexible to terms. A lot of times they don't want to wait a super long term. Their house is not market ready. So we do reach out, have a lot of folks that reach out to us, they have a beautiful turnkey house in a beautiful neighborhood. This thing doesn't need a thing, right? Those most likely they're not going to give you the huge, huge, huge discount on there. But some of these houses that you're going to run into is where the house is dated. It needs a lot of work, right? And sometimes where this makes more sense, where the numbers will make, and I reach out to realtors, all I do, guys, I'm looking for somebody who sold a house recently there and said, hey, I'm an investor. 
I've got this house. I'm going to be buying it in a few weeks. I'll be closing on it in a few weeks. And I'm thinking about either renting it or maybe just listing it right away. Sometimes I do a fix and flip. Sometimes I just do a clean out depending on the scenario. But if I were to sell this house as it is, what do you think this would sell for? And do you have any buyers looking for this now? Right? Because usually this is a, a handyman special type of a situation. And this is one of the easiest ways to do it. And I just get in touch with realtors because if you find the right realtor and say, hey, I'm going to be wanting to list this probably with you if, if you put me in touch with the right people and let them work for you guys. And I'll call a handful of realtors if I need to. But this is how I handle these situations well before I even close on it, right? So if I have a property that we're working on these deals and all the numbers are kind of fitting to play where I could say I could buy this house and I'm talking with realtors involved and they think that there's obviously enough spread to work. Now, what do I have to cover? There's 6% commission. And I got to pay some closing costs. I have to figure out holding costs. If I'm going to do any renovations or a clean out, I have to figure out all of these things. But even right now, as the market is turning, there's still people looking for deals. But you have to make sure that you price these deals accordingly. And what I love every single time is having multiple action strategies, not just one, but on one of these deals that I'm planning on actually doing a subtail deal on, I'm going to be reaching out to realtors right away before I ever even close on the deal. As I'm making the deal, I'm going to be reaching out to realtors immediately saying, Hey, I'm, a, I'm an investor. I'm buying this property. I'll be closing on it soon. And this is what I'm looking to do with it. And a lot of times I want to have my buyer already lined up before I close on it, just like I did in this Louisiana, right? They're actually waiting on me to close on it. And to be honest, if I show you a text message on my phone, the realtor kept on pestering me because there was a slight delay in closing. And he's like, when are you guys closing? I'm like, oh, I think this Friday. And actually it was like a Monday. And he kept on, hey, I'm just following up. Did you guys close yet? I'm like, man, I know this is a good deal because he's pestering the hell out of me. So I know they really want this thing. I know I'm giving it away cheap. I know I am. But you know what? Grateful over Grady, a fast, easy transaction is worth a couple extra thousand every single time. And I don't want to sit on it. I want to move this thing because time is money. I have a $500 payment. Hurricane season's coming. I don't want this thing sitting there any longer than it already is, right? I want this thing gone. Anytime there's a disturbance in the Gulf, I'm like, oh boy, like let's get this thing gone. Because I do remember there was last year, Abby actually had a seller who she was open to seller financing. This was in Louisiana. And she says, well, there's a hurricane coming. So as long as my house doesn't get destroyed, um, I'm open to doing it. And then unfortunately, her house actually got destroyed during the hurricane. And obviously, we did not have a deal at that point. So time is money, guys. Don't sit on those deals. So cool. Keep your eyes peeled for opportunities. Sellers who want to sell, maybe don't want a lot of them, don't want to wait 10, 20 years but might be a little flexible on, hey, if I could get you cashed out in six months and nine months, and that's when I get paid too, would you be open to doing some short-term this where I buy the house from you, I make it market ready, I list it with one of the best realtors in town, I put that on the market, and then once we get that sold, that's when I get something, and that's when you guys get cashed out too. And that's going to be a really short-term thing. Mr. and Mrs. Seller, I'm not looking for five to 10 years. I'm looking for months, not years with this. I'm still going to write that term up for one year. But obviously, my goal is to get it cashed out less than that, right? So what's my term on that? I'm still going to write it for a year. 
I'm not going to still write it for a three month where if I don't get them closed out in three months, I'm still writing that for a year, depending on what the market's like, right? I want to make sure that I've built myself enough time for delayed closings or whatever happens. I know any issues. So some of the tips and tricks, but these opportunities are out there in abundance. The return on your money is how you can get into some of these cleanouts and fix and flips to where I don't have to come into buying a property with cash, rehabbing it cash, selling it. And then that's when I get recuperated. Most of the time I'm just doing some light repairs or cleanouts, closing costs, and I'm in and out of these deals, making good, good return on my money. So cool. Um, Q&A time. Um, okay, so let me get into some of these. Abby, do you want to pull up some of these questions we have here? Anybody's yeah. got questions, drop them in. Okay. Um, do you stay in the deal throughout its entirety to protect the seller? Yeah, on those deals, because in that situation, I'm buying the deal and then they're paying cash for it when on, the, on the retail side when I'm selling it. So in the meantime, now I'm the owner of that property and I'm the one making payments until we get them cashed out. And that's why also too, time is money because every month we stay on that deal is another monthly payment I have to make, right? So um, speed and convenience works for a lot of people, including us. So yes, I'm in that deal because I'm the owner of the property until our buyer closes on it with a cash financing, whatever they're going to do. And that's when we get paid our money. And that's when we pay off if this previous owner had any equity and their loan. That's when they get cashed out too. All right. Why, um, why wouldn't you put a, put a tenant buyer in there to save on short-term capital gains? That is a great, great, great question, Paul and Sherry. Um we can do that. And that depends a lot on the situation. Sometimes some of these deals, like we have, we have sellers where they might want 20 grand down. And then I have to pay closing costs, which is another, say, $5,000. And then I do a clean out, which is another $5,000. And I might have $30,000 into that deal. And then when I put in a tenant buyer, I might get almost all of that back or some of that back. But then it might take me a few years to get to turn on my investment. Whereas sometimes I could look at, covering just the closing costs that 20 grand have 30,000 out and then make 30, 40,000 on that deal and be a hundred percent return on my money on a quicker fix and flip that doesn't take me six months to do, but usually takes me like 60 days to do. So there's multiple strategies. And I also look at what's the condition like of the property. What would I have to get the property condition to be like to put in that tenant buyer? Now, there are times where we put in tenant buyers who will do the work themselves. A handyman special rent-to-own is what we call them. But there's some of these properties where they're a little bit more than just that, right? And some of them need a little bit more love than just a little bit uh, lipstick. So on those, some of them make sense, and we do. We like to keep a lot of them for tenant buyers, but there makes some sense on high entry fees, condition the property, or sometimes... Our seller doesn't want to wait five, 10 years to get cashed out. That seller in that situation want, might their money now. And they might be flexible enough to wait six months or eight months, but they really want their money now. But they can't, they don't want to put on the MLS themselves or they don't want to do the clean out themselves or maybe they don't even live in town to do that or have the money to do that, right? So some of these situations where if we have a super long-term, I want to keep those, especially when they make sense. But on some of these seller situations where they want their money a lot sooner than later, they're more in the mindset of, I need my money in months, not years. 
but this opportunity is still there. Um, and you can still do the capital gains. Yes. Um, and have I done those in self-directed IRAs? You can. Here's the challenge with doing those inside of a self-directed IRA is you will trigger something called UBID, which would, it will still be a, what's a taxable event. And the reason why is because there's an underlying debt on the property still. It gets super technical. I'm not an accountant, but I do a lot of this stuff with my self-direct IRA and I'm pretty good on it. I've taken a lot of stuff on this stuff. I've spent a lot of time. I do a lot of these self-directed IRA deals. So if I pay cash for a property using my self-directed IRA, and then I do a fix and flip and then cash out of it, yes, you can do that tax-free. However, if you do buy a property with seller financing where you're paying a debt underneath that, either seller financing or uh, a sub-two deal, that and you profit from that deal by cashing out whatever, that will still trigger what's called UBID, and that will be a taxable event. Either way, it's still worth doing it. If you need the money from that, doesn't matter because you're going to pay tax on it one way or another, but that would trigger that. Um, Paul and Sherry, you were talking about seven years on that deal. Yes. So on that deal, um, I really considered keeping that. I really did. I looked at the repairs being in, do I want to own a double wide trailer in Louisiana? I could have. I'm not saying I didn't want to. Um, however, what I did look at is me giving them $7,000 down, $2,000 in closing. I've got $9,9500. With the insurance policy, I got $10,000. I've made a couple of payments. I've got $11,000 in a pocket. Now to do a full clean out would have probably cost me three grand. Then I probably would have had to put in a bathroom, carpet, paint, and paint kitchen, if not redo a lot of that kitchen. It wasn't terrible. The trailer was built in 2005, but it still was, these people really kind of roughed it up a lot. Right. And then a 2,600 square foot trailer to paint it, carpet it, because uh, it's a really, really big trailer. I would have probably spent, I'm guessing, another 20 ish on the low, low, probably 25,000. So what do I have out on that deal? 30, 40 grand. Right. To own a double wide. So if I'm looking at my, to my money to have out, now I've got to recuperate that in seven years. And so I'm looking at what I add up as my cost of entry, right? The cost of entry is the most important thing to me on every single deal that I look at, cost of entry. If I'm going to put in a tenant buyer and I'm going to turn this into a long-term investment, what's my cost of entry? When I start adding up that number of you know, 10,000 to get into the deal between money down and closing costs, now what are my repairs? to get this place cleaned out or to get it somewhat market ready for a tenant buyer, if this is going to be the case. When I start getting into a high number versus what the, the property's worth, that number starts to be too high. I don't love it. I don't love it. Even with those low money down, whatever. So now when I'm also looking at what are my multiple exit strategies, I kind of lay them all out. Tenant buyer, right? Do I assign this to another investor? Do I keep this and do a, one of these sub twos? Do I do a fix and flip? Like, what are all my options? The more options that you have available to you, the more kind of strategies you could figure out. So um, are you using your own money for the down payment in any rehab or are you using personal money? Um, I honestly use my own money because, I mean, for us to do $10,000 isn't really too big of a challenge. Um, you know, to do a handful of those at a time, not a big deal. So if you want to use other people's money, you can. Um, but for us, it's 
not an issue. We always fund our own deals. We've never used personal money before, private money. Um, so I guess really when I'm analyzing these deals, cost of entry to me, guys, it's everything. And so, so is the exit strategy and the timeline too. And if my sellers want to get money soon, that obviously takes a big, big play into it. When we talk to some sellers who they don't want to do 10 years, what is another strategy that I can help them with? I'm usually going to cash, but cash isn't always the best, right? What if I could do a scenario like this where maybe it makes more sense just to do a light cleanup, guys, and then when I do all the stuff that I'm going to do to get your house more market ready, and I listen to all the things that you don't want to do, and once I get it market ready and we sell it, that's when I get paid and you guys get paid too. And I have some skin in the game just like you do because I'm going to be putting all my time, effort, and I'm going to be actually doing all this stuff. And some of these times, this works. It's not going to work every single time, but you'd be surprised how many times people will have trading money in dollars for speed and convenience. And especially a lot of these situations where maybe they don't live close to the property. And I will tell you guys, to be honest with you, my wife and I, we just moved to Florida. We are actually in the new house right now in Florida. We're from New York. We just moved here not even two weeks ago. I went through the personal experience of selling our own property, our own house that we lived in. I've sold a lot of houses. I've never sold a house that I lived in before. Okay. And let me tell you what a pain in the ass that is if you've never done it. Um, every single time somebody wants to come and see the house, you have to gather up the kids, the dog, get in the car and go drive around, right? You have a lot of showings. You might be driving around for hours. What am I supposed to go do? I got the dog with me too. So it's not even like I can leave her home and I can't go to the mall with the dog because she's with us. So it's like, there's, it's an inconvenience. And every single time somebody wants to go to the house, you have to make sure the kids' toys are picked up and everything's perfect all of the time. So these are the challenges that you run into selling your house that you have to get your house market ready. When the realtor walks through and you have to take these paintings down and paint that wall and to do this and to do that, there's a lot of times you'll spend a lot of money to get your house market ready. And then after you do the showings and all this, get to be a pain. And then finally, when you go through the process, guys, I could see why sellers love what we do because we buy their house as is. What do you do with all, all of the stuff that you've accumulated for all of those years? They don't want to deal with it, guys. We had a 30-foot dumpster in my driveway for two weeks where I sat on Zoom calls as I watched my wife throw all the old stuff in the dumpster. I didn't know what it was. She just kept on walking in the house with bags of stuff, right? Kept just throwing it out. I'm like, oh, there's probably all my childhood stuff getting thrown in the dumpster. See you later. But we made the agreement. We're not taking it with us. I just don't have the heart to throw it out. And she's like, dumpster bound here, it all goes. And she's equally as ruthless with hers as she was mine. <laughs> she did a great job. But no doubt, that's a lot of work, cleaning out all this stuff. So when we do have sellers who are open to doing some short terms or even longer terms, the fact that we're buying it at is, is with all of their stuff in there and we'll handle the clean outs and things like that, that is absolutely huge for them. So remember when you're talking with sellers, it's the convenience of them not having to list it, not having to get it market ready is one of the things that we're going to do all of that for them, right? And then once we do all of the things that we're going to talk about, that's when we get cashed out and that's when they get cashed out too. So all awesome stuff. Um, question, direct message. I'm looking into buying in Florida right now. I just bought in New York State. Yeah, I'll tell you what, there are going to be opportunities galore for these seller finance and sub two deals. Um, I see the market turning and 
it's like one out of four transactions that from a retail perspective that get made go backwards in Florida. So that means somebody's buying a house on the market. I'm a normal retail buyer, put my $20,000 EMD down to buy this property to live in my family. And then I'm backing out of that deal. It's like one out of four happening in Florida right now. And so what's happening is as prices have jacked up so immensely over the last few years, I see a really big pullback, nothing huge, but I see it's going to pull back. And I know it's going to, which is how much nobody knows. But what's going to happen is anybody who just recently bought a property in the last few years might not be in a position to sell. Um, and we're working with some sellers right now who've just bought their property within the last few months who are going to have a hard time selling it now. So there's going to be a lot of these sub two seller finance deals coming down the pipeline. So my biggest, I guess, thing to say is if you've had any sellers that you've talked to in the last six months or a year, I'd be definitely following up with them. I'd definitely be checking in with them and say, hey, did you sell your house? And if they haven't, are you still looking at getting an offer and seeing if they're now open to selling, especially on seller financing, especially if they still want to sell? Um, okay, so next questions, Abby. You want to fire some of these off? Um, yeah. Can you walk through the sales process? An example explaining how sub two works to the seller, as well as how to explain to them that you can buy another, buy other houses, and um, you you're taking over the mortgage. How, how you taking over the mortgage will not stop them from qualifying. Okay. Um, walk through the sales process. So a lot of times we're talking with sellers who need to sell. Some of them want to. Um, some of them don't need to. Depends. Every situation is going to be different. And what we do is we explain to them that once we are buying the house, we have it closed with the attorneys. If this is a sub two or a, where they have a mortgage on it, we explained to them that once we agree on the price, we pay the closing costs on both sides, and then we're going to take over making that payment on your behalf. That loan is going to stay in your name until we get it cashed out down the road. We'll figure out what that term length looks like. If they're okay with all of these, we are very clear with them. The loan stays in their name. We're making the payments. You guys could even sign in your accounts and see us making your payments on your loan that's in your name while we've already bought your house. Like I want to be crystal clear to where I sound so repetitive, they know that it works. Um, and in a lot of situations, guys, I'll be honest with you, I've had so many sellers reach out to us and say, my credit score has jumped up so much because you guys have been making my payment on time. You know, a lot of these, these properties that we buy, they might be a month or two behind on their payment. They might've made late payments before in the past. So now that we've got their account and that we're making these payments on time, and then it's been years their credit scores have jumped up and we've had countless of these. So once we explain that actually it helps their credit. And then, so there are lots of different ways to buy the house. Um, we like to buy them with a wrap mortgage, which is very similar to subject two. I think it has some advantages of it being a wrap versus sub two. The main thing I like is it's a mortgage between us and the seller. So basically what it is, it's a document, our attorney drafts. It just says it's a mortgage. It's going to say that we are making that mortgage payment. And so what happens is when they are applying my seller for another mortgage, they're going to have a documentation showing that we've bought the property with all the closing documents and that we have a new mortgage where we are making that payment. We've had countless of times of our sellers going to buy another property and say, hey, the bank person saying I have an issue with my debt to my income right now because they show this property still on my credit. I said, perfect. Put me in touch with the banker and I'll get all this squared away. 
The minute I get on the phone with the banker, I say, yep, I bought the property. I'll send you the closing documents and the mortgage because we make those mortgage payments. We send them to the bank and every single time they say, got it, you're all set. These have been FHA mortgages. They've been all types of different deals that we've done this through. So once we explain that our incoming payment washes out their outgoing debt because it's the same exact payment, and that way it's a mortgage recorded, not sub two. This is actually a mortgage record. That's why we call it a wrap mortgage. This is how we cannot have them run into issues from stopping them from qualifying for another mortgage. Now, I will be honest with you. That doesn't always work as well as it sounds. There are some circumstances where you can run into issues. Um, exactly with VA loans. I have one right now. We have a seller just bought his house in Florida. He literally just bought it in May. He bought it for $555. The VA gave him his credit. And he you only have so much VA credit. I don't know if you know how VA loans work, but the VA will say you could buy up to this much property with no money down. So out of all of his VA credit, let's just say they gave him an $800,000 credit. Well, he used 555 on this property. Plus he rolled in closing costs. So now he owes 565 on this property. Property is only worth 550. Now he bought it in May. It will close on it in May. He bought it about a month before that. And if you guys remember, market was pretty good in April. Rates weren't crazy in April. Obviously they're getting worse. It's slowing down. Now, long story short, here it comes where he wants to sell it because his job transferred him to Texas. So if he puts it on the market for even 580, which he's hoping to get 580, he's still going to have to write a check by the time he pays 6% commission and closing costs, he's still going to have to write a $20,000 check to say goodbye to his house. The challenge is if he buys his next property, he only has so much VA credit to buy the next property. Right, So he could get qualified for another mortgage, but the VA says, we'll only cover this much of the next house. You'll have to put up this much money down. So sometimes it's not just a debt thing. There could be VA credit attached. Um, so we're working out the particulars of that now because we still might put that deal together. We're, we're trying to figure that out. Um, make sure that the new bank is not the same bank as the existing house mortgage. Pretty good idea. I've never had that happen yet. Um, do you use a service company for the mortgage payments when you do a sub two? When you do a sub two, you should, and yes, you should use a service company. We don't buy sub two. I buy them on a wrap mortgage. Even if I'm taking it over for what they owe, I could buy it what's called a mirror wrap, which is still a wrap mortgage between me and the seller, but it's just for what they owe on the property. So therefore, I still have that mortgage in place to make sure I don't affect their DTI. It also prevents them too, where if I stop making the payments, they have a recorded mortgage against me. And with that recorded mortgage, if I stop making payments, they could foreclose on me. Now, I know in the sub two community, they talk about having a performance deed. But if you talk to a lot of attorneys and most judges, a lot of states don't recognize performance deeds. so. I know I'm not picking on anybody, but you know when you say this, this is very state specific. So what works in one state might not work in another state. So always check with your own attorneys in all of your states what you're doing your business in. But I know in New York and I know in Florida where I do business, and I know there's certain people out there who teach 
buying property sub two and then having a, a performance deed where if I don't pay, the house goes back to you. Well, performance deeds don't work in Florida. They don't work in New York. They're not even recognized in either state. So on a mortgage, if you don't pay, what happens? You can foreclose. And that's why I like using wrap mortgages. Even if it's for what they owe, you write up as a mere wrap and it pays down at the same rate in terms. Um, stupid question, but why offer to pay for seller's closing costs, especially sometimes a deal could be a little leaner? Because Trace, that's a great question. Closing costs, depending on where you are, some states, they're very, very inexpensive. Some states, especially like our cities, for an example, I know Philly has a 5% transfer tax. I think Pittsburgh has a 4.5% transfer tax. I think Baltimore is really high too. So there are certain places where, you know, closing costs can be very expensive. But if you have a seller who's selling their property to you, especially if they've got little to no equity, especially with no equity, if you expect them to show up to the closing table and have to pay thousands of dollars in closing costs, they're never going to show up. So it's a cost of doing business. It's the entry fee is you're going to have to pay both sides of closing costs almost all the time on these seller finance deals. Now, if it's a cash deal, right? And especially if they have a lot of equity in it, it's a no normal cash deal or it's just whatever, then sure, I'm going to want them to pay closing costs. But on a sub two deal or a, a creative finance deal where usually I'm buying this with no money and they're not going to get a check, I can't expect them to come to closing with a dollar out of their pocket. I mean, even getting the car and getting to go to closing, right? is having them to do something. And I want them to do as little as possible. So if I have to say, hey guys, you have to go to closing and come up with a check for three grand, you're gonna be like, uh, who are you? Click, <laughs> right? So we don't want that to happen. We have more deals. Um, but when you say doing a mirror wrap should cover both judicial and non-judicial states. Yes. So yeah, and that's why if you are doing, I guess if I'm Damien to everyone. When you say doing a mirror wrap, you should cover both traditional and non-traditional states. Okay. Oh, he's saying actually he's saying, saying I'm saying you're you're correct. I think your solution is is better, you know, because um, you know, you have the performance deed with the non-judicial. And then you have the confession of judgment with the judicial. If you just use a mirror wrap, that's a one solution for both. So I think your way is great. I, I don't really, I've never done wraps at all. So um, maybe that's something I should look at. So thank you. Yeah, no, thank you for putting that in there too. Um, appreciate that. But yeah, I've I've learned my old mentor was Ron Grand. And uh, if you look up, he's, they call him the godfather of real estate, but he's been doing this for 40 plus years and he's closed thousands of transactions. And I've always tried to follow people that I would want to learn from. And he's been a wealth of information for my whole real estate career. And I've always tried to also learn from other people's mistakes. So I don't have to make those mistakes myself because those are some of the best learning experiences you could have is actually from other people's mistakes. So you always got to listen to like, you know, be careful that guru that you listen to because you don't know what they do. But when you look at somebody who's done as many deals as he has, even the lawsuits that he talks about that he's still in now from what happened in 2008 in the last downturn, because he was personally guaranteeing all this debt and all these projects, there's still pending lawsuits, right? So 
I try to learn the best I can from other people's mistakes, but that was the one thing he's always been real big on was subject to versus wrap mortgages. And I think subject to has a catchy name. It's easy to trademark, it's easy to, to catch on versus like wrap mortgage, like you can't do the two thing. But realistically, out of the two, even Pace Marby talks about doing it, but it's a lot of these wraps, it does protect my seller because they can foreclose on me. But also too, because if now I have a mortgage in place, it does handle my DTI issues without having to get a service company involved because we don't use service companies. I just show if they've needed to see that we're making the payment, I can do that, but they don't even get that far. So I'm not saying what works in Florida or New York or some of these other states that we're doing business in will work exactly like this in your state, but I would at least take what we're talking about and definitely talk to either attorneys or things like this in your state. And I can see what you're talking about, Damien. He's doesn't use service companies either. But once again, if I'm buying sub two and I maybe I live in Arizona and there are certain things that work better there, then maybe that is a good thing. But um, wraps work everywhere. So cool. Um, any other questions that we have? If not, we're going to cut this bad boy loose. We're here about an hour. Um, I'm new. Do you have a program teaching all these strategies? Avery, to be honest with you, just keep tuning in. We're going to go over a lot more of these every Tuesday. We do this at 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Um, next week, Abby, we're going to be talking about what? Do you oh, have the agenda? Up. She's got the agenda for next week already set up for next Tuesday, guys. So sign up for the link. We'll be dropping that tomorrow. The best way and, to sub to seller finance leads and deals in the current real estate market. So the best way to find these deals and how to make them with what currently is going to go on the market. We found some ways that we're finding leads now opportunities now, things that weren't working even months ago that are now starting to work again. So as this market's going to start to turn and it's going to be a slow moving vessel, and I'm going to explain why and how that's going to happen. I was, I did my first deal in the year 2000 and I was buying and I really watched what happened before 2008. Then I watched what happened during, but then after. And so I could see some of it similarities, but I have a lot of ideas that I think will be, um, and everybody's talking about it. it's no surprise, but how to do these sub two deals in this upcoming market, right? And how to find these leads and how to make these actually deals work. Um, and we're going to go over that next Tuesday too. So cool. Was there any other questions I missed, Abby? Did you have any? I think you're muted. LOL. <laughs> um, I think we missed one that said, how do you find these deals? But other than that, I think we got it all. Um, how do we find them? I mean, we're doing social media marketing right now. Our sellers are, are finding us, but um, to be quite honest, we're going to dive into that huge next week, but there's going to be a, a list of reasons and, and ways. I mean, one of them, guys, to be quite honest with you, you could go right on the Zillow today and go look for homes, whatever area, go under current houses for sale and under keywords, put in owner finance. Look at ones that are listed with realtors. Look at what ones are not listed with realtors. Now, on the ones that are for sale by owner, most of those are going to say, will not take seller finance because they're just looking for keywords in there. But on a lot of the ones listed with realtors, you're going to see that right on there. So I know that um, there's challenges and things like that, how to find these deals. I'm going to go over pros and cons. I'm going to just take two seconds. We'll dive into this more next week. But I don't love, I've bought sub two deals off the MLS. We've done them before. 
The one thing I hate about it is what I talked about earlier, cost of entry, guys, I have to pay a 6% commission now, or even a 3% commission, depending on what you negotiate. But I have to pay a realtor commission on top of closing costs, maybe on top of a down payment. Now, I'm not saying those deals didn't work. Obviously, I did them. So they do work. But just take that into consideration when you're looking at this house that's listed with a realtor. Part of the deal is that realtor is going to want to get paid their commission. Right. And if you find a deal that's listed on the MLS and it does say they're open to seller financing, I'm going to call up that realtor and say, hey, I see that they're open to terms. What's going on here? And I'm working on one right now here in Florida. The guy just bought the house for 600000 He put $80,000 worth of work into the house, has a family emergency, has to move back out of the country. He's got into it, 580 plus closing costs, some holding costs, but he has into it, maybe 590, almost 600000 almost 700000 I'm sorry. And uh, he's got it listed at 725, which if he sells it right now and pays the realtor commission, he's going to basically break even. And it's not selling, it's just sitting there. So I told, talked to the realtor. I said, well, if I were to pay your commission, what are the rest of the terms looking like on this deal? And if I pay her commission, I pay closing costs, I get a beautiful house that just is absolutely nuts done. Doesn't owe a dime on it, is open to seller financing, wants 4% interest on the deal, right? I just have to put a pencil to it to see if it cash flows for a rental or for an Airbnb, or what all the different strategies is. So this has a lot of different strategies. The house is absolutely mint. So this is on the MLS, guys. They're out there. So there's going to be a lot more of these opportunities coming down the pipeline. We're definitely going to dive into this more next week. Um, Joe, someone asked if you have a program teaching these strategies. Tell them about your mentorship program. Ashley, okay, I was going to, you know, we have a uh, mentorship program. We do... Every six months, we have students. We do open enrollment. And we have open enrollment, I believe, coming in October, September. We're going to be doing interviews. So we do a one-on-one. -on -one. We meet every single week. We do have a few students who are here today. Um, and we do this as a mentorship program. We walk you through exactly how we're doing our marketing. You guys get invited to our meetings. So you get to see our own team and some of the stuff that we're going over on our own deals. We have a lot of cool stuff that we do, but we walk you through the processes through cash wholesale deals, through sub two. I do a lot of the closing calls for students, um, which I love to do. And we help them make deals. So we do have open enrollment in that September. So if anybody is interested, if you even want to reach out to Abby, who's right here, or reach out to me, send me a message and we can set you up for an interview. I think interviews are going to be in September. And uh but I tell you what, if you want that one-on-one -on -one where we meet every single week for six months and we hold you accountable, we give you our tips and scripts and give you all the stuff that we're using, it really works out well and you see the results. So thank you so much, Ashley. Um, cool. So this is Cindy. Um, I'm originally from upstate New York. I actually went to college in Rochacha. Um, I connected with you and your wife on Facebook. Um, I'm... Actually, I consider myself pretty good at finding off-market deals, but I have not exercised my creative financing muscle as much as I should, especially in the area that I invest. There's tons of paid-off property. So all that to say, I'm open to learning more about creative financing. I appreciate this space that you're holding. And um, having that said, I just wanted to know, how can we add value to you? 
Well, I always say too, if you have a, if you have a seller who's in a situation and they want to sell, or I always separate the two, want to sell and need to sell, right? So if you're, if you find a seller who's in a situation, they, they really need to sell their home and the numbers aren't working out for a wholesale deal. Usually our houses, there's no equity or there's a little equity. Sometimes there's a ton of equity. You'd be surprised. So I don't always just throw those out the window either. But if you run into a situation where you're just not able to put the deal together, what I always say is reach out to, usually it's going to be somebody on my team. And what we could do is analyze that deal, talk to the seller, because to be quite honest with you, our mentorship program rocks and you're going to get that one-on-one training every single week. But for me, some of the best ways I learn are by doing. And so if I have a deal and I just can't figure out how to maybe put it together, but I could sense there's a situation here, you know, we could partner up on that deal get you paid on something that maybe you weren't going to do and learn the process that way by actually doing the deal. So how can we, you add value? And I know Pace Morby does a great job with his community too. So many of his students bring him deals and he buys the deals from his students or from his community. And that's a great way to get money in your pocket. Also learn how to do these deals in the process. So I always say our mentorship program rocks and it's super helpful. But sometimes, you know, that's a commitment, right? Like we have to meet with our students every single week and there's a commitment on their part too. Sometimes people don't have that time. So if you don't and you still want to learn and you have that lead, let's get in touch. Let's look at it. Let's see if we could create some opportunity here to turn it into a deal. Because I will tell you, and Abby could confess to it too, where we are able to make deals and find deals where I have countless times with other investors who give cash offers to sellers and the cash offer doesn't work. We take that down sub two and man, we can still make a ton of money on that thing too. And every other cash buyer is scratching their head saying, they must've paid way too much for that property. Well, yeah, if I paid cash for it, I would have, but I didn't pay cash for it. I paid a couple thousand closing costs, right? So if you have these opportunities, let's get in touch and uh, I would love to talk about them. Don't reach out to me. I'll be really super slow. Either my wife, Jen, is amazing or somebody on my team like Abby, we'll make sure that we get in touch right away because um, there are sometimes I'm just not as fast as they are, just being honest. I'm in meetings literally all day. So sometimes even, I mean, even had lunch on a meeting today. Um, cool. All right, gang. Thank you so much for tuning in. Sorry, we went a little bit over today, um, but that's it. So next week, tune in once again, we're gonna go over how to find these deals how are making these deals and how you're going to be able to do these too, especially in the next six months, you're going to see, I think a whole turn of events that's going to make this even easier than it's ever been. So be prepared guys. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you all next week. If you got any questions, drop them in the group. Um, we'll definitely make sure we answer them and uh, the creative finance with Jen and Joe guys. So thanks so much. And we'll see you next week.